Well, welcome back to True Crime Trine, a podcast where three friends get together and chat true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah. And Meredith. Sarah's still not here. <laughs> we promise she's coming back. She is alive. We figured that out last the other week. She is alive still. Okay. Okay, well, she's still not here. This is episode 72. Hopefully she'll be here by 74. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Well, I have a little bit of housekeeping. Okay, sweep it out. I finally had the chance to dig into our analytics a little bit because it only covers a year, so you have to like kind of go back through and filter stuff. So we are at 36 countries in 41 of the 50 states plus DC. So a big thank you to all of our listeners. Oh, and I did print the list of countries. Because I was like, I don't even know how many countries they are. So now I have a list. Nice. Is Austria on that list? Not yet. Well, soon. Maybe after. Maybe they will be when this is aired. Fingers crossed. Come on, Austria. You can do it. Stop being so melancholy and listen to a true crime (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Well, for starters, I had a brilliant idea since I knew that our resident Capricorn was going to deliver another big boy, Ah. that I was going to get episode 72. My light bulb sparked, and I thought that I would pick a crime from 1972. All right. Not like 1672 or anything? Well, wait. Okay. So I Googled, and sadly, the big news from 1972 was Gacy. That's a big boy if we wanted to do that and i really did get my fill of writing a script about a child murder <laughs> from episode three wesley allen dodd right out of the gate so you know that i can do it but i don't even know if we wanted to gacy i don't know we'll see to be determined let us know listeners do you want to hear about gacy do you want to put hannah to work again it'll definitely be a two-parter It'll definitely be Hannah because she's the only one who has time to read books. And I do have a book about him. (laughs) So I did a little bit more digging and other than Gacy, there was some racist shit. Mm. There was some homophobic shit and pretty much just more shit. So I thought... 1872 might yield some results. I will see time out when I was looking at the very beginning for like interesting executions. One of the most interesting ones I found, I really wanted to talk about it. It was super racist. And I was like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, I think I remember that one. (laughs) Not that one. So in 1872, I discovered more child murderers, more racist shit, more homophobic (laughs) shit. The only... Thing that was a possibility was the bloody benders, but that is marked for Hannah on our big list of topics. You should. I would have given it to you. Maybe in the future I'll do bloody benders. Maybe I'll do it. Who knows? To be determined. So I decided I would go back in time some more to 1772. Okay. And I came up with nothing. Okay. Maybe my brilliant idea will work for a different numbered episode, but (laughs) when I was digging around in the 1700s, I came across the case of Samuel Frost. Now, there is not a lot of information on this case, but I came across a broadside that really piqued my interest. For our listeners that don't know what a broadside is, it is a very large sheet of paper that's printed only on one side. And historically, they were used as kind of posters that announced events or proclamations. 
This particular broadside was printed for distribution in 1793 at Mr. Thomas's printing office, courtesy of the American Antiquarian Society, and it was entitled, quote, The Confession and Dying Words of Samuel Frost, who is to be executed on this day, October 31st, 1793, for the horrid crime of murder, end quote. I was going to say, that was a really short title, and you kept going. I was like, <laughs> it was the 1700s. They had a lot to say in the beginning. They used a lot of commas, and I'll talk a little bit more about this broadside. You will hear me say, like, according to Samuel, things like that, because okay. it was an interview with him, and then there was also some additional information in there. Essentially... It's Samuel's account of the crimes, and then it has some pretty illuminating commentary from an unknown author. Okay. And the cost of this print was six pence back in 1793. You can purchase a copy of this broadside today for the low, low price of $7,500. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) Mm. I do like that it could be purchased if I was so inclined, But since I got a pretty good copy of it to read, I don't need to actually (laughs) own a copy of it. I did again try to make sense of the pound, shilling, and pence, but it gets so complicated in this story because in this time frame, you also are getting the Spanish dollar and other note or bills of credit type currency, which is actually different in different colonies. And I did spend a fair amount of time looking at the history of currency in the United States, but (laughs) this is a true crime podcast, so (laughs) I will move along. I do have a historical tangent for you a little bit later. Yay! For this episode, though, we are headed to Princeton, Massachusetts, which is about two and a half hours northwest of where our sweet little Pisces was hanging out all summer. All summer. The state motto of Massachusetts, forgive my Latin, is inse pedit placidum sub libertatum quietum, which means... Shut up and let me read? No. Ah. By the sword, we seek peace, but peace only under liberty. Or, by the sword, she seeks quiet peace under liberty, depending on which translator you use. All right. Mine's better. And because we've been to Massachusetts a couple of times, I believe we've done fun facts about Massachusetts. And Sarah doesn't need any drawing clues since she's not here. So instead, for you, Hannah, I have some weird Massachusetts laws. (gasps) Yes. I love this. Okay, let's go. Tomatoes may not be used in the production of clam chowder, ever. I agree. I do too. And I understand Massachusetts, I can see them having a strong stance on clam chowder. Yes. Especially saying, fuck you, New York, and your Manhattan bullshit. Exactly. Bullets may not be used as currency. (laughs) Okay. Stopping for red lights is not required by law unless they are flashing. Excuse me, what? Yeah, wrap your head around that for a little bit. Is that why the uh, East Coast drivers are so fucking terrible? It might be, honestly. And like, because mean? Yeah, drove, where, where were we? Oh, we were in New Jersey, so not Massachusetts, but we were in New Jersey, and I literally thought my husband was going to have an aneurysm because it was so aggressive over there. It's bonkers. And he got super aggressive, and that's actually the time that he flipped off Snooky. So, oh, it all comes together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, also in Massachusetts, false teeth must be removed during sexual intercourse. <laughs> that's so gross. Oh, you can give a gummy instead of a blowy. There you go. I don't like that at all. Right? Not even a little bit. It might be good for the old folks home, as we know that they are pretty scandalous. You can still keep your teeth in, because your lips all, like, flop into (laughs) your mouth and stuff. Oh, God. (laughs) 
I think I would want to no longer have sex if I saw the partner start removing his teeth. <laughs> Be like, well, we're done here. <laughs> Never mind. Red flag. <laughs> yes. No, thank you, sir. <laughs> Keep your teeth in your goddamn mouth, sir. That's a green flag. Christmas has been illegal since 1659. If you choose to celebrate Christmas, you will be fined five shillings. What? Yeah. That's still on the books? Well, at least according to the sources I found. Right, so. yeah. The, they're not always real, but they're fun. Yes. At a wake, mourners may eat no more than three sandwiches. How many hot dogs? It did not say anything about hot dogs. Okay. I think you're in the clear. Okay. In Boston, duels can be carried out to death on Sunday as long as the governor is present. Isn't that the Lord's Day? It should be, <laughs> if that's your thing. Yeah. It is illegal to give beer to a hospital patient. Violators will be fined $50 and sentenced to no more than two months in jail. Hate it. I'm already in a fucking hospital. I could have used a beer after I gave birth to my daughter, honestly, but all I got was Hopefully a popsicle. some good meds. Oh, no? Well, no, I did get some good meds. Not enough good meds, but, you know, <laughs> that's fine. Snoring is prohibited unless all bedroom windows are closed and securely locked. And locked. <laughs> mm hmm So you can't, like sleepwalk out of your window and snort somebody else or what <laughs> the thing is is that something happened to create oh, I know. this For right all so of these it's so great very very interested in why they have to be closed and locked but maybe it's because say. they forgot to put their false teeth back in does that make you more? <laughs> could be i don't think you sleep in your false teeth elderly listeners let us know <laughs> Well, I can say no because my grandmother, Gigi, she takes her teeth out before she goes to bed. I was trying to remember what my grandma's did. I did not remember. I do remember a very terrifying time my grandma was between teeth and she oh, was no. getting um, like little individual tooths like in each like Fixed. socket. Uh -huh. Oh, so she, okay. She came to Thanksgiving and all she had on the bottom of her mouth was little screws. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Never going to forget that. Oh, is that where my obsession with teeth comes from? That's things that nightmares are made oh, of. Oh, God. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, Grandma, I fucking love you, but what the fuck? I gotta go, Grandma. Why are you even here? You can't eat. I know. There is an old ordinance that declares goatees illegal unless you first pay Fine. a special license fee for the privilege of wearing one in public. I'm fine with that, too. A goatee almost... Never looks good. I'm just throwing that out there. I am going to disagree. Okay. Listeners, <laughs> you pro-goatee or anti-goatee? And then you could also ask, are you pro-work boots or anti-work boots? Yeah. If you're wearing work boots, beard or nothing, don't, don't half-ass it with a goatee if you're already going all the way with your feet. Like, come on. <laughs> In Boston, it is illegal to play the fiddle. Oh, my mom would hate it. <laughs> my guess is that it's a Puritan thing, but they just don't like that they good fiddle playing. They just don't like playing. anything fun. Well, that's true. In the city of Marlboro, one may not detonate a nuclear device, okay. which seems fair. Seems fair. Seems like we should have that in more cities, that statute. Yes. So now it's time for less fun. Hmm. So let's meet Samuel Frost. Samuel was born on January 14th of 1765 in Princeton, Massachusetts. So he is a Capricorn. Oh, damn. He is a Capricorn. Oh. Mm -hmm. His father was John Frost, and there was no mention of his mother's name. Why would there be? I know. She only gave birth to him. And some other children, because it, it did say he had three brothers. I did try to do some super sleuthing on this, and I am not sure if this is correct or not, but I did find a baptism record for a Samuel Frost from June 27th of 1779, 
in Massachusetts, and the parents were listed as John and Mendwell. I like that. Upon some more super sleuthing, I found that John and Mendwell were married on September 6th of 1750. They had a total of six children. Mercy was born June 14th of 1755. Jonathan, November 20th of 1759. Joseph, August 8th of 1752. Another Joseph, weirdly, August 19th. (laughs) Of 1762, then Samuel, though no birth date was given in these records, and then Rebecca, and there was no birth date given for her either. The three of the oldest boys were born in Groton, Massachusetts, and I don't know if I said that right, which is only about 26 miles northeast of Princeton, and that doesn't sound like much, but back in the 1700s, that was pretty far. According to Samuel, he had three brothers, but made no mention of any sisters. So again, I'm not sure if my super sleuthing led to the correct family, but it is the right time frame. It is the right approximate area. And I love historical record searches, so I'm not mad about it (laughs) if this is a different Frost family. But there's a lot of coincidences because, right, there's four a total of four mm-hmm. boys. One of them is named Samuel. It's the same time period, the general vicinity. He didn't talk about his mother. He didn't talk about his sister. Sounds like a charmer. He will talk about his mom in a little bit. But it could be like, you know, back in that day, too, there was a, a high infant mortality rate. Mm-hmm. So it could be that the sisters were... I mean, at least one of them was older, but both of them could have been older and maybe they they didn't make it, you know, until he was born. So I was kind of wondering if that happened with Joshua and Joshua. Oh, Joseph and Joseph. With Joseph and Joseph. Well, so he said two of his brothers were still living and then his eldest brother died when he was 19 years old. So that would have been in 1779. So if this is the right family, John and Manuel Frost, then Joseph and Joseph would still be okay. Then never mind. <laughs> alive. And the weird thing too is that they were both born in August. I think they were only. Uh, let's see. They were. Oh no, they were ten years apart. Ah, oh, jeez. Okay. I don't know. Either way, it was fun for me to do some historical research. I did spend a little bit more time than I should have, but. I feel like it's a possibility. I'm not going to give a percentage to it, but it is a possibility that I nailed it. There is also a possibility that (laughs) I did not nail it. And if that's the case, then I apologize to that particular Frost family. We're just putting no numbers on anything. Samuel described his father, John, as, quote, He was very churlish and was void of all affection for his family, end quote. Rough. I had to look up what churlish meant. I was not aware of what that was, which I had to look up a couple of words while doing this because they use some different lingo back in the late 1700s. So if you are not familiar with what churlish means, it means rude in a mean-spirited and surly way. So it is safe for us to assume that John was a dick, basically. Yeah. When Samuel was 14 years old, so this would have been 1779, his mother died. Okay. Quote, my mother is dead. I always regarded her and ever thought my father had no affection for her and that he used her ill. This induced me to kill him. Now I'm going to pause this quote. So essentially, Samuel believed that his father was to blame for his mother's death. Though there is no record that I could find, at least, of what she actually died from. Oh, see, I wasn't reading it that way. Okay. I didn't see, I didn't feel that as the father murdered his mother, just that he was an asshole to his wife. Like, or she just died from something else, but she probably had a miserable life or her husband. True. Didn't love her or care for the kids and is a churless asshole. And she's a woman in the 1700s trying to not die in childbirth and like and treated like a second-class citizen and you know just slaving away in those like wood cabins with a fucking fireplace to cook on like she wasn't doing great no now i'm going to continue quote 
I'm actually going to repeat it one more time. So, quote, my mother is dead. I always regarded her and ever thought my father had no affection for her and that he used her ill. This induced me to kill him, which indeed I executed on the 23rd of September, 1783, end quote. Okay. At the age of 18, Samuel indeed did kill his father, John. All right. Brutally. All right. According to Samuel, quote, as we were digging a ditch together, I knocked him down with a hand spike and then beat his brains out, end quote. (laughs) God damn. All right. Samuel was quickly apprehended and charged with murder, naturally. And again, there's going to be a lot of quotes in this because it's coming from Samuel's perspective in an interview. So I'm going to say that a lot. So lots of quotes. <laughs> it is a short one, though. So Samuel was described in this broadside as, quote, an extraordinary character. His mind was evidently not formed altogether oh, like God. those of other persons. He thought it no great crime to kill such as he supposed treated him ill and did not appear to have conception of the heinous crime of murder, end quote. And he was also described as, quote, five feet, four inches high, rather slenderly built and strong. He had a peculiar way of tossing or twitching his head and his countenance was very unpleasant. End quote. Ah, <laughs> uh, rude. Just calling him ugly. Uh-huh. So this should paint a picture, hopefully, in your mind of what Samuel looks like and kind of what his personality is. So Samuel was apprehended very quickly for the murder of his father. He was held in a jail in Worcester, Massachusetts, pending his trial. In April of 1774, A funny side note was that Wikipedia said that the trial was the same year, but September comes after April. (laughs) Samuel was tried by the Supreme Court, and I don't know if at the time the Supreme Court is what we think the Supreme Court is nowadays. It probably wasn't. It probably was whatever the, like, colony, like the state. They they weren't even states. Well, they were by that point, but. They were getting close, but not quite there. So I'm guessing it's more like district court, but they called it the Supreme Court. Yeah. Anyways, he was actually acquitted of John's murder by reason of insanity, which according to Samuel was, quote, contrarily to my expectations, end quote. (laughs) All right, Samuel. Yeah. Don't sound too too insane to me on that one, but okay. So after the acquittal, Samuel was released, and there was no mention at all of any reactions of his remaining siblings, but he did not go home. I don't know, his dad sounded like a dick, so I wouldn't know if they were crying too much. Essentially, Samuel was a vagabond. He would go and stay at people's houses and do basic chores for them, and he might also get some food. This part from the broadside was a little hard to follow, but essentially, Samuel stayed with Mr. George Parkes, Mr. John Gleason, Mr. Phineas Gregory, Mr. Ezekiel Swain. He then went back to Mr. Parkes and then on to Mr. Jeff Fisher before staying with Mr. Rice. And Samuel stayed with Mr. Rice until after his 21st birthday in 1786. And then he went to live with Benjamin Wilson, who was noted to be a relative, but it didn't say from which side of the family, for about three weeks. Then Samuel met Captain Elijah Allen, And we'll come back to the captain, but he lodged with the captain for only one night before he moved on to stay with Mr. Solomon Parker and then Mr. Ephraim Osgood and then a variety of other named persons. And I included this because I found it hilarious that he named so many people before finally being like, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A shit ton of other people, too. (laughs) I guess I could stop here. 
Well, also, like, yeah, you cannot stay in one place. He sounds almost like an Aquarius or a Sag, but he's borderline, or he's getting close to. He's getting closer to Aquarius. Mm In 1786, so again, Samuel's 21, he then moved back to the house that he had formerly lived at with his father. It did not say who else was still living there at the time. I'm guessing maybe his brothers, but according to Samuel, quote, I tarried there for five months, but receiving an affront, being told to do something against my inclination, I went off without taking leave and took to the woods. End quote. Okay. Got a little tamper tantrum. Basically. <laughs> so during the day, Samuel would spend his time in the woods foraging for berries and things like that. It's like a fucking bear. I know, right? And then at night, he would sleep, quote, unperceived, end quote, in the barns of local farms. So he's basically breaking into outbuildings. Yeah. He had a really big affliction for apples, evidently. (laughs) It talks a lot about him getting apples (laughs) from different orchards around town. And again, this is all in and around the town of Princeton. So the woods thing didn't last long for him. And after three days and three nights. God, that's nothing. I know, right? He traveled 30 miles northwest to Fitzwilliam, New Hampshire, to stay again with his relative Benjamin Wilson, who had just recently moved there from Princeton. So Samuel arrived in Fitzwilliam on August 22nd of 1786, and he tarried there until September 5th of 1786. Where does he want to go? You know, he just tarries everywhere and then... Like, he's going to leave anyway. Like, what is, what is, right? he doesn't, I guess he doesn't have a plan. Not a very good Capricorn. No, no, he is not. We're not terriers. No. Although sitting around and wasting some time or of the dog variety. Now, according to Samuel, several people were traveling from Fitzwilliam down to Worcester to help, quote, stop the fitting of the court, end quote. Now, I had to look this up. I assumed it was some kind of protest, and I was right, but this is actually a pretty big one. Okay. And so once I started reading about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I I did read about this in U.S. history. So here's my history tangent for you. On August 29th of 1786, an uprising began in Massachusetts called Shays Rebellion. Daniel Shays was a former Continental Army captain that led a large group of Massachusetts residents to assemble at the Court of Common Pleas in Northampton. A side note here, and I know I have lots of these for this, but (laughs) Northampton in England, not Massachusetts, is also Neil's hometown from PAO. (laughs) And I do have a book on order that I will read for Neil's crossover episode. So we will also get New Hampton? Northampton. We will also get Northampton, UK, eventually. Yes. Yes. I love it. It'll be a while. So back to Massachusetts. Essentially, these people, these residents of Massachusetts, were protesting that the state's government was handling their debt and their high taxes very badly. According to the governor at the time, James Bowden, quote, a large concourse of people from several parts of the county assembled at the courthouse, many of whom were armed with guns, swords, and other deadly weapons, and with drums beating and fifes playing in contempt and open defiance of the authority of this government, did by their threats of violence and keeping possession of the courthouse until 12 o'clock on the night of the same day, end quote. It's very Cartman-esque on that one. They stormed the courthouse. They took it over for a period of time. Is essentially For like a day? Yeah, basically. All right. Doesn't seem like much, but okay. But back then it was. And this was 
a pretty big thing because protests like this were happening all over, which started to alarm people like George Washington, <laughs> James Madison, yeah, you and know, Alexander Hamilton. Shay's Rebellion was one of several critical events that led to the calling of the Constitutional Convention in 1787. And at the end of the Constitutional Convention, the United States Constitution was adopted on September 17th of 1787 with 39 signatures before being distributed to the states for ratification. So it's a big one. Okay. It is. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, what the fuck was going on during this time? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Constitution came out of this. (laughs) Yeah. There's some big shit going on over in the colonies <laughs> around then it's a newborn growing pains time it is for sure so back to samuel he traveled with some of these protesters but mostly because they were actually footing the bill for the travel so they were paying for lodging they were paying for food and he went as far as holden massachusetts where the group stopped at a place called davis's tavern for lunch Afterwards, Samuel went to pick some apples at a nearby orchard. Fucking Samuel. And then he laid down to take a nap. Fucking Samuel. Yeah. When he woke up, he decided that he was not going to continue with the protesting group. And he then traveled back to Princeton, which was about eight miles north of where he was in Holden. So he actually okay. like passed Princeton on the way, but then was like, you know what? This is not really my thing. After an apple break, he had some yeah. time to think. So he did his vagabond thing for a few days before he ended up back at Captain Elijah Allen's house on September 11th of 1786. Now, according to Samuel, Captain Allen took him in, quote, because it was the desire of a number of people, end quote. Like, can we please get this fucking man off of the street? He's stealing all our apples. Yeah, he's an apple fiend. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Allen may have actually been, like, Samuel's court-appointed guardian, is what I'm kind of thinking. And they're like, you need to, like, care for him. So Samuel went back to stay with Captain Allen. And according to Samuel, Captain Allen was not a nice man, and he treated him like a slave. And I will just point out in this case that Samuel is not a slave. Okay, fair. (laughs) He is a white man, and he did not come from a family like that. So, And he wasn't indentured or anything either. He He was just there. So his interpretation of this is... It's really in his mind is what I'm thinking. It's probably true that Captain Allen wasn't a nice person, but like when you have to babysit an adult fucking person, you're like, the fuck, dude? Get your <laughs> yeah, shit together. And like, how do they even relate? How do they know each other? Like, no idea. I think Captain Allen was just like a responsible person in town, and they're like, can you handle this, dude? Captain Allen was a Capricorn. Probably. And then he gets more responsibilities piled on him because he's good at doing all of his other shit. Yeah. And then you get apple fucker, like, living in your house <laughs> at the end of the day. It's not worth it to be, like, good at your job. No, it's definitely not. And especially not in, in the captain's case. So <laughs> Samuel would remark, quote, I went off several times afterwards and was absent sometimes a longer and sometimes a shorter time, but did not get anything by going away, but a flogging when I returned, end quote. Okay, because I was going to ask why he didn't just leave, because he seemed to have just left every other single place he's ever been in his life. And I believe that the captain controlled, like, his money stuff. I wasn't imagining him to have very much money to begin with. Well, the one thing that I was reading about, and I didn't really talk a lot about it, but essentially he did have some money from his father's estate. And they gave it to him after he killed his own father? And I don't think it was a lot, but I think Captain (laughs) Allen was actually in charge of that. So that's my- Oh, that's how he got into it, maybe. Okay. It doesn't say for sure, so it's just conjecture, but- 
it sounds like Captain Allen had control over what little money that Samuel had. Okay. So on July 16th of 1793, Captain Allen wanted to plant some cabbage in his garden and he ordered Samuel to help and to go grab a hoe from the garden shed. Samuel returned to the garden with the hoe and Captain Allen was stooping down to plant this cabbage plant. According to Samuel, quote, I then thought it would be a good time to put my design in execution. End quote. <laughs> it's not funny, but the way but they talk back then. The way then, they talk Jesus. is amazing. Samuel then took the hoe and he hit Captain Allen in the head repeatedly. He was mad because they weren't planting apples. Probably. After the third blow, Captain Allen said, and this is according to Samuel, quote, Forbear, Sam. You have done enough. End quote. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. You can stop hitting me now. <laughs> Fucking stop, dude. Right? <laughs> it's still so, it, it's so formal, though. It's like, I he know. probably said, you motherfucker, stop it. <laughs> right? Samuel was not done yet, and he continued striking Captain Allen until he was dead. Samuel re recounted, quote, I had beaten his head so it had made a large hole in the ground and his brains came out, end quote. God, he really likes the brains. He does. And apples. I brains mean, and apples. Brains and apples. That's the uh, pairing, food pairing for this episode. <laughs> People eat like lamb's brains and stuff. I'm not and all like, about the brains. Liver and onions, uh, brains and apples. Mm. I think there could be something there. I'm not going to eat it, but it is a food pairing for this episode. Can we just do apples? Brains is gross. I guess we could just like, yeah, do something fun with apples. Let's just make it. Yeah. yeah, fine. Okay. Apples. Oh, I do have a little uh, ice cube mold that makes little brains. I could put <gasps> them into apple juice. Oh, you can make hard cider. Well, you could make apple juice ice cubes, and then put them into mm. a cider to chill them. That's smart, too. Brain ice cubes, and then put them into apple cider. So it'd be like a brainy apple cider. Interessante. All right, let's see. It could be a thing. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know where those are is the main problem. Well, don't work too hard. We can just use a picture of an apple, too. You guys ever seen an apple before, listeners? <laughs> Okay, well, how about this? What is your favorite apple coming from Washington, Ooh. right, where we have a variety of apples? I think it was about four years ago on a trip down to Portland. We made a stop in Chehalis, and there's this really wonderful restaurant called Jeremy's Farm to Table down in Chehalis. Mm. And it's just really good food. They have... Oh, I'm just like in my mind I'm thinking <laughs> of all the wonderful things. But attached to the restaurant is like this little farm stand. So they had cosmic crisp apples, which were developed by WSU. I heard of and those. And they are so fucking yummy. I also love Honeycrisp apples, which is also like a hybrid apple here in Washington. But that cosmic crisp apple is so good so that is my favorite apple so listeners can weigh in on what their favorite apple is i'm gonna say i'm a little overwhelmed by the amount of apples to choose from <laughs> so i'm gonna just go back on my old standby the pink lady okay those are good too you're like it's an okay apple <laughs> i don't dislike really any apples. I think the only ones for me that are a little bit harder to eat are Granny Smith just because they're a little bit more sour. I don't mind the Granny Smith. A red delicious that's gotten too mealy, I am not into. Oh yeah, that's like a no-go. It's not a red delicious. Let's be real here, guys. No, any apple that's like crisp is pretty good. Yeah. I haven't been disappointed. I also like Gala apples, Fuji apple. I mean, I don't discriminate. I really don't. <laughs> Anyways, enough apple talk. So apple corner with Samuel Frost. <laughs> I know. Samuel then fled to the woods, of course, because where oh, else yes. would he go? He remained there for four days. Longer than the first time. He did hear people like searching for him and calling out for him. So he was kind of like 
you know, hiding in the woods. But he got tired of actually being outside. It is tiring. He was tired of being out in the woods. So he went to a house where he formerly lived. It did not say what house. Remember, he's stayed at pretty much every fucking house in Princeton by this point for at least a small period of time. Could be anywhere. Anyway, he loitered in the house until the family came home, and then the family secured Samuel until the police arrived, and he was sent back to jail in Worcester. Samuel was again charged with murder. He was indicted before the Supreme Court, where he pled guilty. He's very straightforward about it. Definitely is. This part cracks me up because, quote, he was told that he might plead not guilty, was urged so to do, (laughs) and was remanded to prison in order that he might consider the plea he had made and retract it. And yet, notwithstanding, on his being brought into the court, he persisted in pleading guilty, end quote. They really tried with this motherfucker. He's just... Honest, man. Right? Pure. Simple, maybe? Uh. Yes. The description by that unknown author was getting to the fact that he was maybe a little bit simple-minded. I wasn't so, like, believing of it when he killed his father, because his father sounds like an asshole. But then he did the exact same thing again to someone else who does sound like an asshole, but still, come on. Yeah. That's too many. It is. (laughs) I just think it's funny that the courts at the time were like, but are you sure? Because the courts today would have been like, cool. All right, fine. Thanks, dude. I also think it's funny that he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And they're like, you can go. <laughs> not to an asylum or anything. Just bye. <laughs> have fun. You, you did murder someone, but you are crazy. Goodbye. Right? Yeah. So Samuel spent much of his time in prison reading the Bible. Even though he was described by the unknown author as a bit simple, Samuel could both read and write, which was not necessarily common at that time. And the Bible seems to be a good way to pass the time in prison. I mean, it's a big book. And it's a big book. My grandma that was missing the teeth that one Thanksgiving (laughs) read her Bible like 25 times. She got a certificate every time from the pastor of her church. She got pretty religious. I've tried several times to read the Bible. And I'm not a very religious person, but I never really got very far. So then I started to like just read a little bit here and there. And again, it was just not something that I could do. However, at the age of 12, I read Helter Skelter and I could not put that (laughs) book down. Fair enough, because I um, have never I have never read the Bible in full either. I have <laughs> learned enough about the Bible. Um, right? I am 0% religious. But I do remember this, and I'll never forget this. And this kind of ties back to Plans Are Optional again, the Adventism episode. Because mm-hmm. that was the sixth grade was the year we read, read about the end times and how we had to go hide in the caves and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so like... The entire year we had this thing where we were memorizing Bible verses and we go recite them to the teacher. We get a sticker at the end of the year. You know, whoever had the most Bible verses won, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up beating me and this other kid in this competition. And I was just like, fuck you. I'm going to totally fucking win. <laughs> and I did. And I look back on it now and I realize I was totally crushed a kid with autism. Oh, But I was just like, you think, sir? And I was like, oh, man, that was not great. But I'll say Seventh-day Adventist education doesn't really have special ed, so. Okay. I didn't really realize this, because he also came back for a year in high school, and we were just like, God, he's weird. And then it's like, no, there was something besides weird. Yeah, but kids are assholes, too, because, right, they just are. So we don't necessarily do a lot of thinking from other people's perspectives while we're at that age. Not at all, actually. That's why I was just like, ah, it's all about me, bitch. We were supposed to be learning these uh, Bible verses so we could keep ourselves sane in the caves. I wasn't planning to go to the caves, but I still wanted to win. <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to the tavern that's by the caves. I don't know. Is there going to be like a, a burning? I'll go to that and watch. 
Or like, what is that, Burning Man? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's where I'm headed. So Samuel actually did not like going to the church services. And from what I can understand, they were actually held outside of the prison at the time and like at the local church. But they would, you know, have the prisoners go over there. But he didn't like going because the minister had offended him the first time he went by mentioning the murder of Samuel's father. Rude! He did like to read the Bible, but he was like, church, fuck off. I'm actually fine with that. Christianity is a cancer. Spirituality is not always the worst. I just, for me, religion seems like such a crock of shit. Oh my god, yeah. But Samuel's other favorite pastime in jail was banging his head against the wall to, quote, see how his victims felt, end quote. Honestly, (laughs) self-aware. There's that. (laughs) I don't hate it. He wanted to see his own brain. Samuel did not express any sort of remorse for either of the murders. He was considered a very dangerous person to society this particular time. Not the first time, but this particular time. Well, now it's two times. It's a pattern. It is. He was asked by the high sheriff if he had his liberty, would he kill any other person? And Samuel said, quote, there was one more person he believed he should, end quote. I appreciate his honesty. On October 31st of 1793, and Halloween does seem fitting for this, even oh, though yeah. it, was, it was not celebrated as Halloween until the 1840s, but the good old English Puritans were celebrating Samhain at the time. They were? Mm-hmm. They were. No, that was part of their stuff. I thought it was too, uh, I don't know. Nope, they were. Yeah, it was oh, a thing. I guess they kind of party. Yeah. And Samuel was asked by the high sheriff if he wanted to have a sermon preached at the execution. Samuel said he did not care about that. Me too, Samuel. But that he did want to go to the church service so that he could go from the church to the execution site and not have to go back to the prison. So, all right. Fair. The unknown author said of Samuel, quote, he appeared to have a very confused idea of a future fate. Supposed he would go to purgatory and believe that devils wore large black wigs and many other such chimerical expressions of folly and absurdity, end quote. Uh, That sounds fun, though. Samuel was taken to a hill in Worcester. He was made to confess both of his murders, which I found interesting, not Hmm. just the one of Captain Allen, but also of his father. And then he was blindfolded and his hands were restrained behind his back. And Samuel's final words were, quote, I declare that I ever had a great aversion to stealing and telling lies and think them to be great crimes. I always meant to tell the truth and never stole, except for taking a few apples from the orchard. May that be called so. End quote. His last words were about apples. Uh Uh-huh. And then Samuel was hanged. Well, he did tell the truth. I'll give him that. Yeah. The hill that Samuel was executed on later became known as Frost Hill, and I can only assume is haunted as fuck. It has to be. Right? If anyone lives in Worcester, yeah. uh, go, go plant an apple tree on Frost Hill. For sure. That will like that will soothe the ghost of uh, Samuel Frost. It should. It will distract him a lot. <laughs> plant a cosmic crisp one, because that will blow his fucking mind. Oh god. Yeah, his <laughs> brain will like just explode out of his head. Mm-hmm. The last thing I'm going to share with you is the poem on the execution of Samuel Frost. I am not sure who it was written by, but it does rhyme. Okay, I'm here. I'm listening. It is long, so I'm going to try to breeze through it. We'll see how far I can get because, again, they use weird language. (laughs) And this is all one big fat fucking quote. (laughs) Here it goes. A poem on the solemn occasion. Learn to be wise from others' harms, and you shall do so well. Review each act 
on life's important stage in every climate and through every age. And still we find each passing scene will show the virtue only is our bliss below. Vice and a while, while dazzling form may please, assume the borrowed smile of careless ease. Display the charms of pleasure's roseate bower, her gay attendance and happy hours. But yet ever long shall truth expose the cheat, her weak delusions and her foul deceit. The hidden poison of her breast reveal and paint the terrors which her smiles conceal. This day, my friend, exhibits to mankind the effects which follow from a vicious mind. Denounced by justice in life's early bloom, a wretch misguided seeks the silent tomb. In tender age, when softer passions glow, when pity moistens at the tale of woe, Deaf to her cry, his arm on malice bent, to shades of death, an aged parent sent. Yet here art eluded justice's claim, he knew the manic or the fool to fame, imposed on candor with vague pretense, and mercy winked upon the black offense. Ten years resolved, when lo, by anger driven, Again he breaks the great commands of heaven. Again the murderer lifts his vengeful hand and aims the deadly weapon at his friend. Thus by his arm the father patron died, at once the traitor and parricide. Insulted justice now the wretch demands and sentence death awaits her stern commands. Ye youth who view the sadly solemn scene Learn hence that he who from his duty swerves will one day meet the vengeance he deserves. Never let the flowery paths of vice delude, nor let revenge upon your thoughts intrude. End quote. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get like hung soon. It's very moral. <laughs> right? Let me, let me tell you. Thoughts of revenge, I got them. I just love like their use of words, and I and it rhymes, right? And you like it does. It rhymes, and I like that. Maybe I'll bring this next week because I've been reading a book about like old-fashioned crimes in America, and there's okay. a lot of rhymes. Like, yeah, people use this occasion to write poetry mm-hmm. and to scare the children, I guess. But well, that is what I have for you this week, the story of Samuel Frost. I will include the picture of the broadside on our stuff. It's super cool. I love that old shit. Samuel was a Capricorn, not an evolved Capricorn by any means. I'll say, I feel like he does seem like he wasn't totally sane either, which will affect your Zodiac. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Something was missing there, I think. And... There was nothing to do with it at that point in time either, I guess, but like... Definitely not in the late 1700s. I think really the only Capricorn vibe I got from Samuel was just his sheer honesty of things, because Capricorns are very straightforward. We are. We're very blunt. We're straightforward. We do not like to play a games. Nope. I'll tell you the truth. This is why, actually, this is why I have zero regrets about any relationship I've ever been in. (laughs) After my marriage, because I've mm-hmm. always been able to get what I've wanted spoken. Yeah. In, and then I've been able to leave. Or if I start a crush, I like to just be like, hey, yeah or no. And then if it's a no, we move on. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so nice. But like you said, there was an element of like mental health that was going on here. I mean, yeah, clearly it- he was acquitted, you know, by reason of insanity for some reason. Right. I could see that being true, but I, as us nowadays, we wouldn't just like let him leave the courtroom. It's not a win. <laughs> it's just like, go be a vagabond. It's fine. Yeah. And everyone in town has to do their part and, and house you for a little bit. <laughs> and watch your apples, folks. Definitely watch your apples. So, 
you know, I didn't go into Capricorn on this. We've talked about Capricorns before. We have our resident Capricorn. We'll talk about them all the time. I'm here. I'll talk about myself all the time. Is that the Capricorn of me? I don't know. But I really feel like the main trait for Samuel in his Capricorn nature would be that high level of honesty and straightforwardness. I also just do admit when I do something wrong. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, I fucking did that. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Oops. If I get punished, well, fine. I deserve it. I will do it and I'll move on. Like, is I hear that. how I like to approach things. So I see that Capricorn-esque, at least in that part of Samuel. Oh, yeah, for sure. So for astrology, I do have some astrological tidbits that are coming up this week. This episode is going to air on Monday, August 29th. Like I said, we're almost getting into spooky season. And on Thursday, September 1st, Mars and Gemini is going to be sextile with Jupiter and Aries. So again, sextile is just that 60 degree aspect. And this aspect is going to bring some really enthusiastic energy mm-hmm. that brings fun and excitement for extroverts. Well. For those of us <laughs> who are more introverted, it's going to be basically overstimulating. So I think I'm on the cusp of introvert extrovert. I can do one fun day. I'll take the next day or two off, but I can go all out for a day. Okay. So Thursday might be fun. It is also a recording day. So you could still be introverted and slightly extroverted at the same time. Yeah. The fun part for me as a Gemini is that I do possess two personalities. So I am both extroverted and introverted at the same time. And like you said, I can, you know, exert that extroverted energy. I did so on my recent vacation. To Las Vegas that I get to go to. I need at least one day, two or three day better. I was trying to find something to fill my Tuesday nights. Oh, yeah. And then I I did go play volleyball. Oh, okay. Find it out. I'm not going back. It was disappointing. Okay. It's whatever. But I'm like, also, I'm like, I think I would just like to have a weeknight free. Sure. So, like, I don't even, I don't know why I was even trying to fill it up. I wanted to play volleyball. I wanted it to be good, and it wasn't. It's disappointing. Maybe you'll find something else, though. It was really disappointing, but yeah, I'll have to keep looking. Anyways, so Thursday, exert that extrovert energy that you have. Otherwise, stay home. And then on Friday, September 2nd, Mercury and Libra is going to be opposition with Jupiter and Aries. And this is pretty much a thoughtless aspect that makes us susceptible to getting our feelings hurt. So it's really important for us to remember that we don't have to take everything personally. Okay. It's hard. I do... Give no fucks about a lot of things, but I also get my feelings hurt very easily. Just keep in mind that, I don't know, some people are douchebags because they had a bad day. So yeah. like, it's not necessarily about you. It it could just be that they're having a bad day. So sometimes it is you. That's true. But don't take everything so personally. And that's a life lesson as well. Yeah. Not just on Friday. Just You're not the main character of anybody else's life. Like... Such a good point. Yeah. So many things that you think are about you are not. And then on Sunday, September 4th, Venus enters Virgo. And I know Hannah doesn't really want to talk about Venus or, or Virgos. Virgo. Ugh. Gone. The planet of love is finally leaving the prideful Leo and entering the ever practical Virgo. And this means that we will be more serious and more careful in our relationships. And financial matters because Venus also encompasses like our budgets, if you will, in a way. Okay. So this gives us the opportunity to check ourselves and sort out some conflicting influences in our lives. And it also is a great time to trim the fat in your budget. So if you have been excessively spending due to Venus being in Leo. Oh. Or depression. (laughs) (laughs) it's a good time to kind of like take a step back from that extra spending. 
this is also a really good time to clear out the cobwebs in our heads and take out some trash emotionally or literally because it is a really good time to actually clean and organize your house. I do love that. Yeah. To no one's surprise, my house is already very organized. Not necessarily clean, but organized. I have spreadsheets. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish I did. My life is utter chaos. <laughs> Ah. I still haven't cleaned out my office, which is chock full of kindergarten, and my child's going into second grade <laughs> next year. So, And she's yeah. been going to school like in person for a while now. Yeah. I just, I get home and I look at it and I feel overwhelmed by the abundance of shit that I'm like, Meh, I'll just Meh. put a filter on my on my computer so no one can see my crappy room. You get up so fucking early, like I would not even worry about it. But yeah. So there you go. Listeners, if you want to tell us what kind of trash you're taking out as Venus enters Virgo, or if you want to tell us what your favorite apple is, you can do so on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then please check out our website, www truecrimechine.com I'm trying. It's fine. We'll get there when we get there. But yes. Yes. Bye. Bye. Cool beans. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.